What is Cash doing? Reading his phone. Waiting for you. He's waiting for your countdown, I think. Are you waiting for my countdown, Cash? I am indeed. So he oh. got he got ready and just didn't say anything. Well, oh. well, it's uh. you know it's, it's one of the, one of those rare <laughs> times when Cash is not speaking. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's okay. He's going to be a bear to edit this thing because we've already been recording for twenty minutes. Oh, and nice! Haven't even, and haven't even started the podcast yet. <sighs> nice. Uh-huh. Well, you want witty banter. <laughs> there it is. Well, he's well, got banter. I don't know if well, it's witty. He's got the banter part, exactly. I'll edit, it, sure down. I'll edit it down to a couple minutes. Okay. Not going to subject our listeners wow. to 20 minutes of this. Of 20 minutes of him looking through a birthday <laughs> list of thank yous to look, find one picture, <laughs> which he obviously still hasn't found because <laughs> yes. he still hasn't provided his shout out. No, but... I mean, this isn't unusual. We've done this before. We had like about 15 minute before we got into the intro. Oh, we had one podcast where half of the podcast was witty banter. That's the one I'm talking about. Yeah. Well, it was banter. It was banter. Yeah. It was banter. I was told today that uh, I was speaking with a person over the phone. He goes, yeah, but sometimes, you know, your jokes sort of fall flat. And I go, yeah. <laughs> I've kind of noticed that myself. You didn't. Well, you didn't yeah. say that's the intention. <laughs> well, I never intend on giving a bad joke. I just end up doing it a lot. Well, <laughs> oh no, you do. Yes, you do. You look at like the the dad jokes and things, and those are always bad. <laughs> oh. Remind me, Stan gave me a link of more bad dad jokes. Oh, okay. Really? Mm-hmm. You're going to bring that Seriously. out? You're going to give that to him? Well, yeah. We might get lucky. I don't know. We, I, might, we might get lucky. You might eventually do a countdown, too. Ooh, sarcasm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the sarcasm is strong in this one today. All right, fine. I'll do a countdown. Five, four, three, two, one. Look at them, madam. Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful? I'm sorry, I don't know anything about stamps. Oh. This is the gentle art of philately, otherwise known as stamp collecting. Here's a pile of stamps carefully culled from swap meets and garage sales. What are you thinking of? Oh, I was just thinking of all the years I've wasted collecting stamps. Oh, like stamp collecting. Oh, that's all right. That's quite a nice hobby, that. Yes, but it's not enough. Don't you understand? I'm lonely. I'm so terribly lonely. All right, Homer. You beat those stamp Nazis with good old-fashioned American complaining. Oh, if it weren't for you, we'd be at the mercy of weekend philatelists. Why didn't you just say stamp collectors? Because I'm tired of dumbing myself down for you. From Spain and two from Japan. I got a couple from Israel and Azerbaijan. I got a plenty from Poland, but none from Sudan or from Fiji or Uzbekistan. Stamp collecting happens when we dream together. Live from a brass mine somewhere in the middle of Africa, this is Stamp Show here today, episode number 140. I'm Cash. I keep telling my kids how important it is to stay in school, but they keep coming home anyways. I'm Scott. 
It's in, in Hawaii, it's illegal to own a hamster. This is Tom. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait. Okay, okay, fine. I'll redo it. Shh. This is Tom. And I'm your stamp mistress, Dawn. Tearing the fabric of democracy or just a bad zipper? Today we talk about that most holiday of holiday vacation spots, Katanga. Yes, the Disneyland of slave labor. We are discussing this old garden spot in Africa and its stamp history. Oh, the sentence is horrible. This little country has always been more famous for beer and weird government systems than its truly epic crimes against humanity. Yeah, punctuation. It's like, you know, the commas are important. You know, it's the difference between let's eat, comma, grandpa, and let's eat grandpa. Grammar saves lives. It does. Belgium is not the first European country we think of when we hear the words blood-soaked tyrant. This little country has always been more famous for beer and weird governmental system than its truly epic crimes against humanity. There was a time at the peak of European imperialism in Africa when Belgium's King Leopold II ran a personal empire so vast and cruel it rivaled and even exceeded the crimes of even the worst 20th century dictators. Yeah, this is an interesting story because the center of Africa, Britain and France were sort of vying for control. And they couldn't agree on who got it. So the Germans said, well, why don't you give it to us? And they both <laughs> unanimously said, uh, that's not happening. So they couldn't decide who was going to conquer, or take over, whatever. This huge, huge area in the middle of Africa. Let's give it to Mikey. He likes everything. Yeah. <laughs> so they offered it to Belgium. And Belgium said, we don't want it. Well, King Leopold said, hold on, hold on, hold on. If Belgium doesn't take the Congo, Leopold will take the Congo. And so the king of Belgium took the Congo and is the largest landowner in history, personal landowner in history. You know, the Romans had big empire. The Mongols had big empire. But those weren't people. Those were empires. This is one guy. You look at the deed. His signature is like on the bottom. And it doesn't say King of Belgium. It says me, <laughs> you know, citing, you know, I'm married, community property or something like that. He personally owned the Congo and he ran it as his own little kingdom, which he had another kingdom over there. But this one, uh, Leopold wasn't a very nice guy. And, uh, you know, we had slavery here in the United States and stuff. That's n this is nothing compared to what he did. He just ran people into the dirt. He was just flat out as evil as they get. Fear the beard. Fear the beard. <laughs> the Rutherford B. Hayes of Belgium. Hey, no. Ruddy no. was awesome. Ruddy, Ruddy was great <laughs> compared to this guy. Yeah. Oh, compared to this guy, Stalin was... You know, well, at least he didn't kill as many people as they estimate that Leopold II killed more people than Hitler and Stalin combined. That's a lot of people. Of course, he did it in, over a longer time period, but it's still a lot of people. So he's a bad dude. 
he was uh, a very I, bad dude. Yeah, <laughs> I think bad dudes look at him and go, "That's a bad dude." <laughs> <laughs> This empire was known as the Congo Free State, and Leopold II stood as its undisputed slave master. For almost 30 years, rather than being a regular colony of a European government the way South Africa or the Spanish Sahara was, Congo was administered as a private property of this one man for his personal enrichment. Yep. And if you look at the stamps, he's on all the first stamps. And the reason why you know when you see it, you just look for the giant beard on this guy. Also an interesting thing, the high value of this set. The lower values are kind of easy to find. The high value was relatively hard, so they counterfeited a whole boatload of them. And they catalog a lot of money, so people who see the high value Belgium Congo stamps if it isn't signed or it doesn't have a certificate, I kind of suggest you avoid it because it's not like, you know, 10%, 20% might be fake. It's more like 90 to 95% of them are fake. And so if you see this stamp, you know, beware. Beware. <laughs> <laughs> That was awesome. Halloween's next month. I know. You need to do that again. We need to have that recorded. (laughs) This world's largest plantation was 76 times the size of Belgium. Really? That big? Yep. Holy smoke. Oh, it's interesting, too, because if you look at the map of Congo, it's the center of Africa, basically the whole middle of Africa. And then it's got like this finger sticking off on the left side. That was so that it would have a port on the Atlantic Ocean so that they didn't have to go through any other countries because they didn't want it to be landlocked. So you have this big, huge area, and then you have the Congo River flowing all the way to the Atlantic, and that's how they got all their stuff out. And that's also how nobody could take control of this place because they had outside access. You couldn't surround it or anything like that. It wasn't... Even though it looks like a landlocked country, it is not a landlocked country. So hmm. what what U.S. state is Belgium about the same land size as? Ooh, trivia. New Jersey. I'll bet you New Jersey is actually larger. <laughs> I don't know. You have a com- – oh, he's typing on the computer. I think he's pulling up. What state uh, is the size of – Wait, you didn't have the answer handy? No, I didn't. I thought oh. Cash did. Oh. I do know that their government is really, 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 really weird. Proof that Cash doesn't know everything. <laughs> I don't think I don't think it could be New Jersey because I think te- I think Texas is seventy six times the size of New Jersey. And I think the Congo's mm. bigger than Texas. Oh no, he, I think he asked which is bigger, Belgium. What size state is the size of Belgium? So New Jersey was a good guess. Nope. But mm. it's it's slightly larger than Maryland. No. Which New Jersey mm. is the 46th largest state. Maryland is the 42nd. Uh, but it is less than half the size of West Virginia, which is, you know, Maryland is 42 and West Virginia is 41, but it's less than half the size of West Virginia, but just slightly bigger than Maryland. So 
the state of Maryland controlling a landmass, which is eh, what? So 76 times that would be Texas bigger than Alaska. Big oh bigger than Alaska. Ooh. Ooh. By about fifty percent. Oh <laughs> wow. <laughs> so we're talking hefty pieces of real estate here. Uh we are. It, that yeah. that would actually put it uh just over one fifth the size of all the United States put together. No. Uh, so Maryland oh, controlling twenty percent of the United States. It possessed rich mineral and agricultural resources. And it lost perhaps half of its population by the time of the first census. It counted only 10 million people living there in 1924. Mm. By the turn of the century, however, the violence used by free state officials against indigenous Congolese and a ruthless system of economic exploitation led to intense diplomatic pressure on Belgium to take official control of the country, which it did by creating the Belgian Congo in 1908. Yep. This was absolutely in contrast to the British and the French, who generally favored the system of indirect rule, whereby traditional leaders were retained in positions of authority under colonial oversight. Well, that's one of the problems they have today is just pay us taxes. All, all the leadership was in Belgium. And so when these guys kept trying to get their independence, they had nobody whatsoever who had any skill whatsoever in running this area, which encompassed 20% of the United States size. In 1960, as the result of a widespread and increasingly radical pro-independence movement, the Congo achieved independence, becoming the Republic of Congo Leopoldville. Poor relations between political factions within the Congo, the continued involvement of Belgium in Congolese affairs, and the intervention by major parties, mainly the USA and the Soviet Union during the Cold War, led to a five-year-long period of war and political instability known as the Congo Crisis from 1960 to 1965. This ended with the seizure of power by Joseph de Serey Mobutu. Yep. For those who collect number ones of countries, the Congo has, I think, nine Scott number ones. So this is a, a rather, um, let's say, unstable area. So in, in philatelic terms, that means what? Well, if, if you it want... It means it's good collecting. It means it's good collecting. Good, good pickings. Well, what it also means, and why I like this topic, I love this country from a historical standpoint, is there is so much movement in the system there. There is so much political changes and things like that. It's rather interesting. In September 1961, Dag Hammarskjöld, the then Secretary General of the UN, learned about fighting between non-combatant United Nations forces and Katagnese forces. Hammarskjöld was en route to negotiate a ceasefire on September 18th when his Douglas DC-6 crashed with no survivors in northern Rhodesia, now Zambia. Hammerskjöld and 15 others perished in the crash, whose circumstances are still unclear. There is some evidence that suggests the plane was shot down. There's more than some evidence. I think everybody pretty much knew at the time that it was shot down by the rebels who didn't want to um, cease fire. What was the giveaway? The bullet holes? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, so this gives rise to the U.S. Dag Hammarskjöld stamp that they issued. Hammarskjöld. Hammarskjöld. There's a K in it. Yeah. There's a, there's a T in your last name. You don't pronounce that either. Yeah, well. Right. Okay. Dag Breifus. Shut up. <laughs> anyway, he had a great stamp uh, issue with... Uh, Major story behind it, uh, didn't he, Scott? Absolutely. It's printed in two colors, black and yellow. And they accidentally printed the yellow upside down, and which is, I mean, it's understandable. It's the less visible color, and so it got missed in, in the post-production, and a sheet got out, and when it was brought to the attention of the Postal Service, they decided that they were going to intentionally print a boatload more of them so that this person could not profit from it. And the person went around and he had a whole bunch of philatelic people sign in the margin of the sheet to prove that that was the sheet that was actually an error. The discovery sheet. And then uh, he donated it to the APS. And now the APS shows it at major stamp shows. I have seen the sheet. I have uh-huh. been close to the sheet. Yes. It is an impressive looking thing because it is signed by a lot of people. And that's the only thing that's impressive about it. I mean, otherwise it just looks like a regular sheet of the invert that the post office printed. Well, it's kind of interesting that the post office, you know, after the C3A and everybody made all the money, the post office sort of said, we are never going to allow people to make major m- amounts of money on an error again. At which, you know, I, my opinion, that was the wrong answer to do, wrong thing to do, but because there's always going to be errors that slip out. Yeah. And I mean, just look at the plethora of errors that we have today in, in U.S. philately. Oh, of course. I mean... That, well, they, there were always errors. Going all the way back to U.S. number one, there were double transfers and stuff like that. Well, that that's not technically... I mean, these are printing errors, yeah. not, not uh, errors in the in the way that the plates were made. I mean, this is, this is something that's gone wrong with production, but we have, you know, missing perforations, missing colors, missing... Uh, in, inverted colors. I mean, all sorts of different stuff that did get through, and but this is the one that they chose to go ahead and and uh, kill. Yeah. And I I think through the outcry from the philatelic community, they decided that they weren't going to do it again. Except they did for Canal Zone. <laughs> they did for Canal Zone. They did for Legends of the West. Yeah, but that was supposedly caught. It was caught before the date of issue, but then because some got out erroneously. And then they had the quote-unquote lottery. Yeah. Which was a joke. Which was, but that was fine. Yeah. I mean, people paid face value, and they got a, got one, and they put out enough of them out there that it um, it should have satisfied most people. Yeah. You know, not everybody, but a lot of people. And mm-hmm. so they're not particularly rare. They're just, they just have a little bit of, price to them well yeah they were up to like 250 bucks when they started and now you can pick one up for about 75 i think dealer's price is around 75 or 80 you can you see them in at retail between 150 and 180 yeah but i wonder if they sell at that price 
They do. Yeah. There are different varieties of the inverted yellow on the on the Hammerskjöld. No. Um, because when you invert it, the the left and the right margins, and the top and the bottom are different. See, when you uh, when you invert it, it places the the uh, vertical spacing is different on the plate. Mm-hmm. So on one side, you'll have the inverted yellow image, and then there'll be part of the next inverted yellow image. Well, on the far side, that extra impression is missing because it's the edge of the plate, and ah, the plate spacing mm-hmm. was different, or or the um, the margins were different on the on the on the way that it was printed. So. Anyway, it's it's interesting because there are different positions that you can collect that have different uh, images of the inverted yellow. So, yeah, the left and the right I can see, then top and bottom? No, Is top and bottom are the same. Okay. Well, what are the four? I can see left. It's left and right, but then you <laughs> could also collect the inverted plate number. Oh, yeah, good point. Which is kind of neat. Yeah. And then you have just the regular one. Interesting. Well, I'm going to, because I am a reader of Mad Magazine, back in 1962, Mad Magazine, in their More Trash issue, put out a bunch of stamps, and one of the stamps was honoring Leonard Sherman, and Leonard Sherman is the one who found the sheet. And the stamp actually on it says, Stamp Collector Who Found the Dag Hammerschold Off-Register Commemorative Sheet and got shafted by the U.S. government when it printed a million more. I always liked the more trash stamps because it has the uh, vote for Alfred E. Newman stamp. But this is one of the interesting ones from that sheet, too. Uh, I will put it on Facebook so everybody can see that. An interesting little label, to a Cinderella to look for. Yeah. I like I like that he shows he's crying a river and then in the background there's a dollar a dollar bill flying away. <laughs> so all's happy now in Katanga, huh? Well, no. In 1966, the central government nationalized the mining union. In 1971, Katanga was renamed Shaba from the Swahili word for brass. Ah, uh, no. Throughout- now it makes sense why we're broadcasting from a brass mine. That's it. Yeah, that's what, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Only took an hour and ten minutes to get around to that one. <laughs> I know. <laughs> My jokes are uh, long-fused. <laughs> uh, they're on delay. We're still waiting for some of them. <laughs> I adore you. You know that, Cash. That boy's about as subtle as a hand grenade in a barrel of oatmeal. like that one. <laughs> That's old Foghorn Leghorn. I love him. Throughout the 1970s, further insurrections like the 1977 Shaba One were put down by the government with help from foreign nations. Zaire asked the United States, France, and Belgium to restore order. This resulted in 700 African and 170 European victims. In 1995, the African Commission on Human and People's Rights considered a complaint entered by the Katanga People's Congress against Zaire, alleging that Zaire breached the international law principle of self-determination. The problems became Katanga again in 1997 after the leader was exiled. 
So now everybody lives happily ever after, right? No, not quite. The Constitution was supposed to be done in 2006. Three years later, still not done. Still not a great place to want to be a brass miner. Yep. So I didn't know you could brine. I didn't know you could mine brass. Well, right. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> think you could. I thought that was brass is mined. What do you think they grow it? You know, you see the or- orchards of brass trees where they go out and harvest all Bra- the brass once a year. Brass oh. is not a naturally occurring metal, Cash. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, you're right. Duh. <laughs> okay. Probably that's a good point. Why do they say brass mines then? They should say like copper and tin mines. Well, <laughs> they, that, that is interesting. I I got to look that up. Why? So there's copper and tin and well, actually there's. Well, you a, can't put it on the internet if it isn't true, right? Yeah, there you go. Well, one last thing I'd like to add. There is a great movie, and it's on Netflix. That's where I saw it. It's called The Siege of Jacobville, and Jacob is spelled J-A-D-O-T-V-I-L-L-E. It took place in 1961 during the United Nations intervention, and a company of Irish um, peacekeepers was in this little town called Jacobville, and they had to, they were attacked by the Katanga forces. And it goes over a huge amount of the history of this area and everything. And this is really what, if, when you watch this movie and you see what's going on, first of all, you're going to really be impressed by the Irish, your people. Then you're going to see this history about all this area and how really weird it is. And then you're going to see, you know, you can go to the Scots catalog and you can see where all these things happen in the Scots catalog because of the stamps they're issuing. And so like they'll have a stamp and then they'll overprint it and then they'll overprint it again and then they'll print a stamp and they'll have some dude's face on it and then they'll overprint that. It's a very, very interesting area to just, I don't think you really want to, you know, collect it because it's, you know, kind of a downer area to collect. But from a story standpoint, it's incredible. And also an interesting thing about the, these Irish peacekeepers, they when they got back, their files were all sealed. Nobody, they, they were going to put them on trial. And they decided, no, we're not going to put them on trial. Instead, we're going to brush this whole thing under the rug. And the Netflix was put out. They put out this movie because they had just unsealed the records. I guess it's like 50 years. They unsealed the records. And these guys really were kind of heroes. And when they read... It was over 50 years ago. It was September 1961. Okay. So it was 50 years. After 50 years, it was declassified. And these guys were totally shafted. I mean, they were brave. They put up against just incredible odds. They did, you know, above and beyond the call of duty. And they were going to be court-martialed and prisoned and all this stuff. It's a wild movie to watch. 
it's like I said, it has to do totally with stamp collecting because you look at this area. If you collect U.S. No, or excuse me, if you collect Scott number ones, like I said, there's like three Scott number ones that occur just from this period. And again, it's uh, the siege of Jacobville, which is J A D O T V I L L E. It's on Netflix. I'm sure it's probably on Amazon. It's probably on YouTube. Really, really good watch. Uh, and that's all I have. Well, I got one thing uh, from one of our listeners who uh, has had dealings with counterfeit stamps. Oh, okay. And uh, he recently, uh, I guess we discussed it maybe a month ago, he had received a large shipment of counterfeit stamps, so he contacted the postal inspectors, and they ran them around and around and around for over a month. And finally, uh, they took the stamps, and they basically said the postal service is to supposed to return uh when they're kicked out of the mail sorters, they're supposed to return those stamps for proper postage to the senders. Well, they're not doing it because that costs them extra money, so they just send it on to the intended recipient. And uh, un until the Postal Service itself starts sending these letters back to the people for proper postage, there's not a whole lot that they're going to do. They are aware that, that these uh, stamps are coming out of China in droves. Yeah. And they're being sold well, we in don't, droves. We don't know if they're coming out of China. They do. Oh, they do? Oh, okay. I was going to say uh, allegedly China, but if they know, then screw it. <laughs> they know. But, uh, yeah, he, he said uh, it's a drop in the bucket, and they can't do anything until the Postal Service starts playing along. Interesting. And, and it colors everything we do here in expertizing. I mean, Tom, tell them what happened today with the stamp we got. Well, that that one that we got actually ended up being genuine. So yeah, but well, uh, these these new stamps, you know, we we use the Scott catalog, and it comes out once a year. And so, if a stamp has been out and it's not listed in the catalog yet, um, a lot of times there are varieties and things like that that uh, we haven't got a hold of yet, and it's uh, more difficult for us to. Uh, assign a catalog number to something if we don't have it already listed in the catalog. Well, more than that, though, well, um, we now suspect every stamp coming out that, oh, that's true. We're looking, we're looking for this variety, and we're not thinking, oh, this is probably going to be another variety. We jump immediately to, is this another fake? Well, and and we've we've had varieties that we found that um, the catalog editors have not known about. Yeah, and. Uh, before the listing even makes, before the listing for the basic stamp even makes it in, we found varieties, and so we call them up, and they they end up making it into the next catalog edition along with the initial listings. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they uh, we don't necessarily um, are not always the first to know about all the varieties. Um, we do our best to keep up with everything, but yeah. um, so when when submitting, keep that in mind that uh, extremely new issues are uh, may or may not have, you know, it may take us longer because we have to do a lot of research to find out what the listing is or what it might is going to be. 
Yeah, well, putting the Scott number on it is well, hard enough. Yeah, because they're yeah. they're typically, from what I remember, they're anywhere from two to three months behind the issue date for actually issuing Scott numbers. If you're keeping up, well, they have them well, down. They just don't and, publish them. Yeah, and, right. Because a lot of times, well, but if they don't publish them, nobody knows. But even if they were correct, right. you know, even if they were up to date. It's like, oh, now uh, instead of a perf eight and a half, you have a perf eleven that comes out, and they might have missed it. Yeah, well, they didn't know. I mean, well, because it's it's the interesting thing because I mean, what you're mentioning was the 2014 fireworks stamp mm-hmm. with the U.S. flag. There's six listings, six separate Scott numbers, that are three on one page, and then there's three on another page, like. 20 stamps later yes for the same stamp and different size booklet panes and i think three different size coils and two different places of micro printing not to mention the counterfeits and then there's counterfeits on top of that so it's like you know it's it's crazy well i think yeah i think that scott actually is almost doing a disservice by i understand they want to get these numbers out early the dealers are probably yelling and screaming, saying, we need, we want to sell these stamps. You have to give us the numbers. But if they had more time, they could put all six of those and just have, you know, 572 A, B, C, D, E, F instead of 572 A, B, and then they find out there's a C and then they give up the numbers and all of a sudden you have three more over here. And oh my goodness, you know, now we've got a different booklet. Well, we were looking on the computer today. And we couldn't, that flag stamp, they show a picture of one that's perforated on all four sides. And we go, where the heck did that come from? That's one of the second three listings. Yeah. We had no clue where this four perforated sided stamp came from. And it turns out they have a ATM booglet. Of, where of you, like 15, where there's one strip through the middle. Right, where you have four stamps in the middle that have perforations perforated on, on two, all. three, or four sides. Yeah, exactly. So you can get one perforated on two sides, and three if you, sides, or four. And if you end up, now that I've done it, reading the catalog, the way you can tell some of those apart is the design sizes are different. The flagpole measures at different lengths on each of those different booklet panes. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, more. Right? Yeah. <laughs> So this is this is the, the the modern, you know, this is the modern version of classical varieties. Yeah, these are um, and who knows the, which ones are rare. Although the classic varieties came, a lot of them came off the same plates. Yeah, but uh, these aren't coming off the same plates. They're coming from different printers, and so these subtle differences. Um, while, yeah, they, the stamp kind of looks the same. But the subtle differences make a big difference to collectors. Well, they, and the postal service doesn't yeah. always come up and say, "Oh, this is a different printer," and give it a different number. Sometimes they just throw them all in the same batch, and it's left to us to find out. There's well, there's another wrench to throw in that too. Among those six, they're also printed in at least two different ways. Yeah. Yes. One is one is lithographed, and one is photogravier, and I think that's the only two for all six. Um, but there's at least two different printing styles as well. Well, so I, you got to know the difference between printing methods. I know one printing variety that uh, is minor that Scott's catalog and it fits when in with what you were talking about. The Bugs Bunny stamp. 
you had the Bugs Bunny stamp. Then they cut them all up and put them into packets. So the big one on the side, they didn't bother to perforate because they were cutting up the other side. Well, some of the ones with the imperforated bunny on the big cartoon, those got out imperforated. Well, everybody knows the normal and the imperforated. But there's another one. When they made the Bugs Bunny that they put inside of the frames, the framed Bugs Bunny stamps, those are actually a different printing, and they have a different perforation. They have a different die cut. Die cut, right. And you go by whether it's a peak or a valley that starts and whether there's a little straight. So it goes usually straight and then valley, I think it is. And if it goes straight and peak, it's a different die cut. And those are only found that we have seen. They're only found in the framed Bugs Bunny stamps that the post office was selling. And so there's a variety, but, you know, it's a very small variety. We, we told uh, Scott's catalog about it, and they go, oh, that's too small, and didn't list it. But there's a rare item that, you know, kind of nobody cares about. But, you know, you have another one of these printings where they just did this printing for the framed Bugs Bunnies that they made. Anything else? God, I hope not. Oh, me too. I know, right? <laughs> now, everybody it's who's like, listening, this is like probably... If they're like, not asleep. This is probably, you know, you're looking at this and going, man, you know, th this is only like a 30, 35 minute podcast. What's going on? Well, everybody, what minute marker are we at? One hour and 27 minutes. <laughs> We've been recording. So uh, we are indeed going to end abruptly. Bye. Thank you for joining us. This has been Cash, Scott, Tom, and I'm your host, Dawn. Continue the conversation at Stamp Show Here Today on Facebook. You can ask us questions, see pictures of the stamps, make comments, and add to the conversation on Facebook. You can also ask the experts your stamp questions at bluepaper at gradingmatters.com. You can listen to all of our past podcasts at stampshowheretoday.com, podbean.com, iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast listening platform. And as always, keep collecting. This episode of Stamp Show Here Today is brought to you by the Philatelic Book of Secrets, the book that teaches you about repurse, regums, color varieties, and much more. Get yours for $10 at www.philatelicsecrets.com today. WC Stamps offers premium U.S. classic and rare stamps on eBay. They make sure that 90% of their inventory is always the lowest price listed. They also accept the best offers. Just search WC Stamps, all one word on eBay. Thank you for your support of the show. happens when we dream together.